p.m. Every Sunday, town's always about the culture. Do out in sculpture, recording every Friday. So here it our way, no need to catch a flight away. Stay tuned for our take. So welcome back, welcome back. Episode 120 of After Dinner Conversations. Uh, the whole gang is back here again this week. Um, and we're excited to get started. But before we do, again, make sure you like, rate, review, subscribe, wherever you listen to your podcast. We are on all streaming platforms. So make sure you leave a review, leave a comment, tell a friend to tell a friend. Also, follow us on Instagram at ADConvos. Again, on Instagram at ADConvos to see clips, music updates, all things of that nature. Again, on our Instagram. And so as we do every week, we're going to go around and do a check-in, see how everybody's doing before we go ahead and get started. I'm doing good. Um, I've been um, literally just trying to break through, just um, bringing out a whole lot of writing. I'm in different um, avenues in my life and just making some good progress on the mental, physical health side. And uh, yeah, just doing the best I can. And Excited for what the summer is bringing. Um, think I feel like I need a good summer. Um, something that's outside, rewarding, have fun, you know, be productive, make your money, like a classic summer. <laughs> summer where all the good elements are there. Um, besides a good vacation, I don't think I might even get to that until maybe in the fall. But right now, I'm definitely just preparing to, you know, just live my life to the fullest this summer and try to live, make 2023 a good one. That's dope. Mike, remind me to send you the list of festivals that's going to be happening um, in the area. This summer yes, before I leave. Yes, yeah. please, bro. Yeah. You right, we talk about it after. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. You know, don't talk about your business. <laughs> yeah, I'm screaming. Uh my bad. I clicked, I clicked space bar and instead of unmuting, it just started playing music. But um I'm good. Life is good. The weather's mid. Um I don't know. I feel like it's every hot everywhere else but where I'm at, which is, is cool. I don't like anything too hot. Um man, but now nah, everything's good. NBA playoff been keeping me busy. I'm watching legacy game after legacy game, uh, keeping up with shows. Snowfall is over. Um, Hallmark classic, I would say personally, especially the way it ended. Um, I think they did a very sad but very good way wrapping it up. And I think they left a lot of like Easter eggs if you really enjoyed the show and how that last episode unfolded. So shout out to Damson Idris. Um, I think he killed that role. Shout out to that whole crew for Snowfall. I think they killed that role. You with John Singleton not being there, rest in peace. So, yeah, I didn't get to watch episode two of Demon Slayer. Yeah, I'm going to do that today uh, so I can be ready for episode three tomorrow. So a lot of shows loading up. Basketball's loading up. Uh, we're getting ready to just enjoy the next couple of weeks before summer hits. Um, so looking forward to it. So I was saying the other day that it feels like summer already. I think it was 90 degrees here yesterday um, when I was outside. So summer is if it's it's not here officially, but it's definitely closing in. And so I'm super excited. I think to Mike's point, excited to be outside, um, get to experience some different places, some different things. Um, and finally, I think, make time for things, which I think is, is super hard sometimes during the winter, you know, in the fall seasons. But summer you really have no excuse because it's going to be cold before you know it in certain parts um, of the country so trying to take advantage and i think you know in the next couple of weeks finishing school it means celebration time facts um so i'm super excited but i think you know 
laser focused over the next couple of weeks to to fi- to finish up some projects and some assignments. But super excited! So shout out to everybody graduating class of twenty twenty three from elementary school all the way through PhD. I know we know some folks at all levels of that graduation um, spectrum. So shout out to y'all. Um, y'all did y'all think? So a couple more weeks and we're gonna walk the stage. So shout out to everyone there. So transitioning into to cocktail hour, we got to talk about it. It's it's all over social media. It's probably all in your group chats. Hulu has announced that, and again, I'm sure everybody knows this part of it, but Hulu has announced a Freaknik documentary, documenting, I want to say it's 94. Yeah, Freaknik. 94. Yep, uh, documenting 94 Freaknik. And People have their thoughts and opinions on either side of this documentary. Um, But also, in addition, there has been a lawsuit filed trying to prevent Hulu from releasing the documentary. To my knowledge, this lawsuit has been filed by um, some high power, uh, mainly black women, to my knowledge, um, in different CEO, uh, COO type C-suite level positions um, in different industries to prevent the release of of the documentary so i just want to get your thoughts on the documentary overall um do we think it's a positive negative but also on the lawsuit is it something that we feel like is is warranted should there be that much push to to stop it i want to hear Corey's first to be honest i'm not even gonna lie and that's why i asked the question this week <laughs> intentionally so that i can go last <laughs> oh oh man I mean, I think they're valid in the lawsuit. Mm-hmm. I don't think anybody wants to see how they was acting a fool a couple of years. Uh, I mean, not a couple, 20 years plus, 30 years and something that I don't want to say was harmless, but, you know, you just thought you can live with the stories you tell, not the video evidence that incriminates you. Granted, I think pictures from Freaknik have been floating around the Internet the last five or six years, but they're relatively the same six or seven photos, more or less. Um. Yeah, I think it's tough. I mean, because if you put yourself in that position, would you want that video being linked to the pictures? Probably not. But then you have to ask yourself if you was wilding. And it's it just, it's, I don't know. Like, I feel like, again, Corey, we talked about this before. I don't know if there's names attached to who's in the lawsuit or not. It's like, there's, I feel like once people say they're at Freaknik, there's an assumption of what they was doing. I guess you can have an assumption with no evidence, and then you add the evidence, and it sounds, it looks crazy. So, um, again, I don't know how damaging it would be from a career perspective versus like a personal one i feel like this is much more protection of personal like self like ego um identity and everything else associated with the individual i don't think somebody's gonna get fired because they were participating three three years ago i feel like that violates some hr codes (laughs) something (laughs) gotta violate something but and maybe it might stunt your upward mobility. And I think that's very important too. So I don't know, but I do know, and this is what was a bigger conversation. I don't think we spoke about this last time when we had this discussion, but um, people 20 or 30 years older than us had a lot to say about, you know, how women dress in this age or how men act and everything else. You know, this is the blood of the same elk. This is the, the apple probably did far, fall far from the tree here. And the evidence is lined up. So um, not to say I want the documentary to come out. I don't think anybody deserves whatever's going to come their way. But, you know, if we're going to have everything open over here for this generation, we can open one or two doors and y'all, y'all be fine. So it is what it is. 
Now, have y'all seen, and again, I don't know. I don't think there's been an official trailer that's dropped for it, uh, to no. my knowledge. But do we know whether it's meant to what, I guess, what lens it's looking to showcase Freaknik? And again, I think, you know, there's one where you could look at it from a historical aspect. Hey, this is Stephen shaking his head like that's not that's, that's, that's not that's not what they're here for, Corey. Yeah, that's never it's, what they're here for. It's, it's called Freaknik. They know exactly what they're here for, what type of documentary they're trying yeah, to Yeah, but but it, it didn't start the way it would look in 94, right? And so are mm -hmm. they going to showcase it from its orig origin from like a small picnic in the park and, you know, getting black college students together so that they can network and, and grow mm -hmm. and, and build and then transition into, again, showing the evolution of it. Or is it meant to showcase like 94 Freaknik, people was hanging out the cars, people was jumping on roofs, people, you know, what are what are we what are we looking at? When did Freaknik start? What was the first year of Freaknik? I want to say it was the late 80s, if I'm if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. So they they're yeah. Maybe maybe they do maybe they'll do their um due diligence. Maybe they go to interviews, they get some people who was originally there, they'll talk about it, but you know they're gonna fast forward through all that to <laughs> get to the right. controversy and get because what they, you know, they're Hulu, they're you know, yeah, dollar company, they're looking for engagement, looking for controversy. And they definitely got people, the engagement. The engagement is is oh, gonna yeah, be there for sure. They, they know black people like TV, and they know, you know, especially about them. So they know people are gonna tap in for sure. And when people repost videos and pictures and you know of the documentary, that's just free advertisement, you know, free traction again. So they're just looking for people to really, you know, I feel like they're just looking for it to be, it's already controversial, exposing it to like a very detailed length. Like Colin, what they did with the um fire festival that happened. I'm about to say fire festival the first second in my whenever, head. Whenever that happened, like, you know, in the 2010s. Um, and they, you know, <laughs> had the videos, people eating bread and cheese and, you know, little one one tomato, two piece of lettuce and all that type of stuff, man. I just think that they're, it's kind of, it's going to go that same route where they just want to expose like the real details behind it and stuff like that. We just don't know. I don't think anybody knows like the depth of it because mm -hmm. to our generation, like, you know, unless you were in that, you know, you were like in a college age or an adult during the nineties, eighties and nineties, you don't really know what that event was, you know, what yeah. was happening. You know, I know we can talk about the little couple of pictures and videos we see on um, social media right now, but that's probably a microcosm. Like what was actually happening at those events? Yeah. Um, Last point, I just it's it's if it's starting the eighties, late eighties, and they're doing ninety four, that means they're doing prime years. We know why they're here, bro. You know, and, and now granted, I hope that lawsuit, they got the best lawyer. I hope some of the lawyers there are working the case themselves. I hope they got money behind it. Because you're going against Hulu, which means you're going against Disney. Disney has a lot of money. You better come correct and don't come at the, all. They have some of the uh, best corporate lawyers in the world. You don't see them beefing with the state of Florida. <laughs> and winning. Come on. Yeah. yeah. Come on. Now, do you think this sparks um, a bigger conversation when it comes to people thinking about their, I guess, their social media presence? So, again, I think, again, people are upset in about 94 Freaknik or about Freaknik in general because cameras weren't big, right? So probably one person had the big camera on their shoulder. A couple people had disposable cameras, you know, whatever the case is. But to a lot of times, again, we talked about spring break a couple of weeks ago. A lot of the same energy exists on South Beach where there is a camera every block. Mm -hmm. Right. And we don't see anybody pressed to be like, yo, I mean, again, I'm sure some people are when they get back and, you know, regret decisions or whatever. But from a large point, you don't be like, get that camera on my face. Like people just moving, knowing knowing that there's recording. And so have we have we fully shifted again from these people that are suing 
or are people still cognizant about you know what's happening? What's the, what's going on there? People have OnlyFans links in their bio, Corey. They don't care. Yeah, I, you know that's exactly that's my point. Into yeah, I feel like when you're there, or if you've seen stuff from Miami, you know you can see people doing some very wild things. I've seen people having sex in elevators, people getting in fights that are like you know bloody knocking people out. Like I don't think people care at all, bro. I just. I mean, this. I think it's a bigger question. Like, how do people really manage a digital footprint? But then again, not everyone's trying to be like president. Not everyone's trying to be like you know CEO and top, you know, successful like position or something like that in their industry. Some people just work, or maybe they don't care. Maybe I don't know. Maybe we should have a whole conversation about digital footprints and what does it mean? How do people pertain to it? But yeah. if using them, one of those, it recently, like you see a lot of Miami videos all the time. Some people even getting arrested. People running from police. But how much does that really affect their career? Where they're going? I don't know. How much do the companies even care? But but that's but that's my question about the lawsuit, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, if we entered this this generation again, they might have the same mindset of them twenty years ago, right? But if they know what else is out there, you 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 know what hurts it probably is that people are connected so inter they're so interconnected on Facebook, like mm. friends from your hometown are on your Facebook as well as um friends from corporate america people you met at conferences and there's settings to like oh when you tag me don't post my profile and other stuff but things are still connected you know things travel within the internet in such an intricate way that that's really where it lies is the fact that you know people who might post and talk about this can somehow find a way to people who you're friends with like i i like i've folks have tried to add me on facebook from work or other things things of that nature and um they're just like people just want to be connected in every way mm-hmm. possible. So I think that's where the fear lies. And like the rep the like the reputation fear, probably more so than yeah. the career advancement. Because that's how it gets to the career, right? I don't think yeah. HR is actually like scrubbing your people's social media to see what they were doing. Um like I don't think at all. Let me say this. Very rarely, unless there's multiple mm-hmm. comments being made about something. So the only avenue that appears apparent to me is that you have mutuals on Facebook or Instagram or wherever. And because you are the central person, you got people from your hometown, people from college, people from wherever. And if content starts leaking, people can start putting one or two together because now everybody's profiles like public public or private, right? I mean, I'm private, excuse me. So it's, it's just possible. Now, granted, I don't think it's going to be as dramatic as people seem. Like out of all the people in the documentary, what are they going to identify? A couple? Maybe. Maybe there's one person who's a SVP in there acting wild. Maybe one CEO. And then a couple of them is just, I don't want to say regular folks, but not as high positions. So again, it's about personal protection. And so you got to let people protect themselves. Okay. Okay. Um, Good conversation. Um, Shout out to 94 Freaknik. Um, I'm fully expecting to see the documentary. I don't know where this lawsuit mm-hmm. going to go, but I'm fully expecting to see it. Might do a watch party. Um, I will keep y'all posted, but uh, it'll be it'll be interesting to see regardless um, of the outcome. Um, and so transitioning and again, changing uh, topics here, I want to talk. So I mentioned I think I mentioned this last week when we talked about wealth a little bit. But a lot of times we when we think about wealth, we look at home ownership, we look at, you know, buying land, buying property. Um, and we talk about all the often how for our generation, for millennials, for Gen Z, for generations after the sort of the dream of buying a home is becoming less and less accessible um, as home prices continue to rise, rents continue to rise. It's hard to save all of that stuff. 
Um, and so the FHA recently approved 40-year mortgages. So for, for folks that I'm sure are aware, typically the mortgage duration is a 30-year mortgage duration. Um, and it's been that way for, for some quite some time now. But now they've added 10-year to the approved mortgage um, length. And so I guess the goal here is to be able to lower monthly payments because you're able to spread out payments for a longer period of time. And so I guess my question for you all is, do we see this decision as a vehicle for wealth accumulation, again, allowing and making home home buying purchases more accessible uh, for folks? Or do we see this as potentially like a debt trap to you know get into something that you actually can't afford, but it seems like you can afford it from from a monthly uh, payment standpoint to the port to the point where you might feel like you're, I think the term is house poor, where so much of your money monthly goes to your house that you can't really afford to to do anything else. So I want to get your thoughts on that. It's a, it's a double-edged sword. Like I think the fact that you have more money, quote unquote, right, hypothetically to spend and do other things is very beneficial. But again, you're talking about 40 years, which means the interest, if the interest rate is the same, you're paying out much more money, 10 years extra worth of insurance or interest, excuse me, for a home. Um, and I don't, I don't know. Here's the thing, right? I think there's a over or a very, I want to say strong, but there's been an over consumption of conversation about financial literacy. I think people are like, I don't want to say they're over it, but they're tired of hearing that as the conversation uh, it's an oversaturated field oversaturated thank mm -hmm. you mike and they want the money in hand and see if they can apply what's being taught free game on internet every day all day every day um we we'll call it um uh entrepreneur twitter or whatever like they want to just apply to stuff like you tell me all the things you could do with money we don't have money it's nothing so i think you know to does it help yes does it help to the point where people need to know because if you can't buy a house with a 30-year mortgage I don't think you'd be able to buy one with 40 that much. I think it helps the people who can buy one with 30, but I don't think people who couldn't buy with 30 will be buying with 40. Again, I have no numbers, but it just seems to me like it's it's more of like a principle of having the wealth to buy a home. That's the first principle. Like, Because if you're like on the edge, then you probably really can't afford it because life changes so fast and all it takes is one accident. You're outside of mortgage. You got to refinance. You got to do a bunch of other stuff. So I think there's potential there to like people who are on the like, not the edge edge, but like maybe a step back to have a little bit more leeway. But 40-year mortgage, when you think about that, who stays in the same home for 40 years now? Because most people's first home is like a quote-unquote, uh, we're talking about starter. Starter home, or, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but it's a start, uh, this is a starter home. You probably keep it maybe for, what, five, seven years. Then you see, uh, let's see, start having kids, and you move or job moves. You got to sell the house, and you're going to move on. So I guess... Again, to the point of keeping the payments low, I think that helps. But I, I think the goal of a 30 or 40-year mortgage is for you to be in that home for until you paid it off and you own it outright. So if if you're buying a home, let's say at 35, and you got a 40-year mortgage, I mean, you got some payments that are easy to pay. You're going to have to sell the home. But are you going to stay there until you're 70? I doubt it. We're in 2023. And by that time, or, happens, or even if you do, are you going to want a, ho a house payment when you're retired, right? When you're on a fixed income. So like all of that stuff. That's the bar right there. That's that, the bar. That was, that's my only point too. I mean, from the optics, like not knowing the details or conditions of the loans and blah, blah, blah that they're offering. Um, 
it sounds crazy. Like a 40 year loan, like how long does the average American even live? Like 67, 70? Like, I just feel like that's like a hidden debt trap where like, yeah, it's a little bit more lesser payments, but like, like everything we're saying, is that really going to get to the wealth? Like I'm supposed to be, I'm supposed to be geriatric before I can be like, all right, on my home, like, what is the value of your, of your home going to be in forty years? Much less, like, you yeah, know, you don't know what the neighborhood going to look like. Yeah, or, yeah, you don't know what's going to happen, or environmental things can happen. Anything can happen in forty years. Maybe you don't even know how to take care of a home. Much less, you can learn maybe a little bit, but still, like, that's a lot of home maintenance you're going to have to yeah. do. Pay. And on top of that, you still have to pay like property taxes and all that other stuff. And like, you know, getting a home ain't cheap. Maintaining a home is not cheap. Um, like I said, people move a lot. I don't know. I just is this really the solution? I don't know. I don't know, I don't know. But then again, you know, when we were, what, middle school maybe? 2007, 2008, 2009, they were selling them subprime mortgages. <laughs> exactly. Subprime mortgages. That kind of mean went to the underworld um, globally. Um, I don't know if that's the answer either, but I don't know, man. The loan system is a pretty nasty place. Um, it is. I, I don't, I, it probably could be helpful for some people to get the payments and stuff, but all I'm going to say is this, that I want to buy my house in cash. That's it. Just straight I up. I 100% you know? agree. Yeah, that's, that's just, man, I don't know, man. Loans just make me, like, I understand they're natural. They're, like, a necessary evil for, like, living in our world and stuff like that. But I don't know. Like, 40-year loan, bro, 40 years, that is, like, you're going to have grandkids by the time you finish paying off that loan. Like, you know, it just, it just seems yeah. like a lot. I just want to pull up with, like, a suitcase and be like, yo. Yeah, okay, yeah, I'm here. I'm with the house right now today, exactly. Like, yeah, yeah, I mean, I think you both made the similar points to what I was going to make, and I'm trying to look at when did 30 year mortgages start because it wasn't the original practice of, of buying homes, right? I think for yeah, so it looks like again, 19, it was 15 years before that, right. So it used to be 15. So like, but I think it used to be like a 50% down payment, right? So, I mean, yeah. I think, again, there was one time where you pretty much needed the full price to to buy a home. You pretty much just needed to pay it in cash. And then uh -huh. they're realizing that that's not necessarily affordable. And so as they got people out of the cities and started these suburbs and things like that, but it wasn't until right around the 1950s, it looks like that the 30 year mortgage became a thing. Uh -huh. And so now they're looking again and adding it to, to 40 years and, Again, the home buying process has become what the American dream is. And I don't know if that's the same in other countries and other places necessarily the way it is here. But to Stephen's point, entrepreneurship, LLC, Twitter has made it where this generational wealth conversation has become so, I think, again, Mike's point, overly saturated, where that's all you talk about. I want to build generational wealth. I want to build. We, we get it. And I think we've talked about it before. If you don't instill the values and passing along property won't really do anything, right? Yeah. Because it'll, it'll end after that next generation regardless. But I think, you know, I don't think this is a solution. I think this is a band-aid and I don't, I don't like band-aids, especially when it comes to wealth creation for marginalized communities, right? Because I think there's always going to be this incentive to try to try your absolute best to make the generation after you you know, better than you were. But I think, again, sometimes we always look at that as things, being able to pass along things as opposed to being mm -hmm. able to pass along mindsets. And it's the same mm -hmm. thing, you know, I think most auto loans used to be three years. Now I think you can get an eight-year auto loan, right? And so, yeah, you know, why would crazy. you want to, why would you want to take eight years to pay off a car? 
right? So like literally, like it just I don't know, like debt traps is like long term loans is like so crazy to me. Like and and, and again, I think we've always thought of it. I think a lot of I think the issue sometimes is we think about things on a monthly payment basis, right? Mm-hmm. Again, they're giving you an eight year loan term. Most people only keep their car three to five years, so essentially you're gonna keep having an auto loan because you're going to keep upgrading because as soon as you go to as soon as it's five years why don't you get the new model why don't you get the you know xyz so you're going to stay in a car loan essentially for your whole life 40-year mortgages you're going to stay with a mortgage essentially your whole life i think the average you know we might make it to 80 i don't know what the life expectancy is somewhere around 75 80 it's, it's like 82 but if you're in different parts of the country it drops yep. to like 70 so and again so if you don't buy a home till you're 30 you're going to have a mortgage payment for your for your whole life so and then student loans don't forget for student life. student loans for you know the duration of your life so all of these things that generations prior said hey i'm gonna take the bus until i could buy a, a car in cash or i'm gonna you know have three roommates until my wife and i can save up and buy a home and put 50 percent or 20 percent down now it's put as little down as possible just just worry about the monthly payment and i think for so many people who don't genuinely have a financial, you know, literacy background, it sounds good. Hey, I could mm-hmm. afford this. I could afford this. But to Stephen's point, as soon as the hot water heater go, it's it's a wrap. As soon as, you know, God forbid, there is something that you couldn't predict happens. It's... Hey, what, what, listen, house has got all the little ticky text of the water leaks, you know, <laughs> little animal coming to your crib, like window break, or you, know, you, literally, you literally never know. Roof got to get replaced. Um, what do you call the things on the outside of a house? I forgot what they're called. Oh, like the shing, like the shingles. Yeah, 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 exactly. Or shingles, like, you know, yeah, 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 like the outside of yeah, like all that stuff. You ain't got no landlord. You gotta fix that stuff, or you gotta either you have to go to Home Depot or you have to hire somebody to fix it. So those are just like more incurred expenses that you're gonna have over them 20, 40 years, man. Unless you, you know, much less. Hey, we even talked about it. What if your marriage ends? <laughs> you know, what if you don't have the same partner? What if you got the same combined income that you used to have? Yeah, what if you lose your job? What if you know your job like again? So I think yeah. there's there's Great a lot of these, tech, you lose it next year, like you know. There's a there's a lot of these larger conversations. I think we try to overcomplicate financial literacy literacy sometimes mm-hmm. to the point where you got you got to do the percentage calculations. Like our grandparents and generations before made it so simple, right? Have a rainy day fund. Don't yeah. buy more than than you can afford. Right. Again, so and don't make sure that you can only meet the monthly payment, right? If all your monthly payments total two thousand. Don't make twenty one hundred a month, right? Like, don't don't live like that because you don't have enough to pay for anything that goes wrong. And life happens. We all know, even at our young age, that life happens, mm-hmm. and it will slap you in the face. Yes, but to that point, and this is like a a sidebar. I believe like eighty percent of what even survive in this generation. Like, I think there's a there's a lot of conversation about money being wasted and time, and I think the time is an important one. But I think they would have been the same bar, if not worse, than a lot of these folks. Because, I mean, when you're put, when you're put paying $1,000 every year for tuition, you had no room and board because you took the bus. And granted, that was the circumstances. That's fine. You know, you kind of get a bus straight to uh, stores until, what, 2014? 20, not even when we was there, so 2017. Mm. So you had to drive to get there. You're going to pay for gas. The tuition is going to be 20000 I just think there's a lot of side conversations that gets associated with the gener- our generation mm. or slash Gen Z or whatever about the financial aspect and about loan forgiveness, all this other stuff, when they had a fraction as generous, the amount of financial responsibility that we had at their age, equivalently. 
an amount of financial capital that was like required of us at that same level in time. Mm. Like our internships would have been the best paying jobs on the block during their times. If we're being bar, honest, bar none. bar none. Bar none. So, and so that, that's just my two cents. Now you, yeah. you, you took, you took, I had like two final things. And one of them is like similar to your Steven for one, the financial literacy. I'll say like one thing I don't like for like how the financial, financial literacy is talked about um, this day and age. I do think it focuses a lot on income generation. Yes. And like, you know, streams and how you can get different jobs and AI and whatever, you know, ways you can just get new income coming to your account weekly or monthly or dividend stocks, investing, all, all that stuff. But I don't think they actually talk about asset management and what wealth, mm-hmm. you know, you know, real like what Corey, like what Corey lives and dies by, like that real wealth accumulation and, you know, to make it quote unquote generational. I mean, yeah. you need something to pass down. You can't pass down the income. <laughs> you know, you need assets. You need, like, diversify yeah. assets at that. Um, I just don't think it really get, um, digs deep into, like, what that actually means and what it takes for us to really get those assets and maintain them and pass them down. Well, I think, Mike, I think that's the hard – because I think that's the hardest part, right? I mm-hmm. think telling somebody that they have to be okay with delayed gratification as a part of asset management is is the part that no, nobody wants to hear. Mm-hmm. And so it becomes a – what is it a, a prosperity preaching or a prosperity gospel when it comes to to wealth generation because they don't want to talk about the parts that are ugly the parts that are hard the parts where it's like you can't go to roof chris on tuesday because you don't have no hey, money. Yo. hey but that's, that's another point i was gonna bring out too but also to have generational wealth you also have to think beyond yourself and what you want and need exactly. in your own lifetime it's a sacrifice it's like, yeah it's a massive sacrifice look at like where's my sounds bro <laughs> <laughs> You know, you have to save up a lot and like you have to be focused, like I'm going to pass it down. You also have to know your trust fund, your trust fund, um, inheritance laws, pass down laws, which is something that people do not talk about a lot, oh. um, especially in our community, uh, black community. Um, uh, you like, you know, because I think a lot, I mean, historically, a lot of black families lost, uh, lost a lot of money because they lost their land because they, um, white people back then and manipulated them through those trust yes, fund laws, laws yeah. not knowing those inheritance laws, not knowing or not having wills. Or not paying like, tax, you know, the taxes on exactly, it all the time. Yep. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Um, so it was just like a massive part of it too. And I don't know, man, that wealth management is something that it is harder. And like my second point um, to wrap it up is like what Steven said, you know, baby boomer generation, I don't think they should even fix their lips to even talk to us because <laughs> they had a soul suite and then they they had Ronald Reagan and they're like, you know what? Let's flip everything upside down and make them pay for everything. And now here we are, millennials. Like you said, like we're 18 years old or like a lot of 18 year olds right now. I have to look want to go to college and they're looking at tuition and it's like 40, 50 K, 30 K. 200 K. 18 year old to have that responsibility. And they have to take out loans. Like educate, they may edu- higher education, a crazy debt trap where a lot of us have student loans now well beyond our income. Um, that you'll probably make or you can even pay off. Or there's a whole lot of horror stories of people having student loans. They've been paying for 20 years and they barely touched their principal balance. They're just still paying off the interest. Like, that's insane. Um, you know, as we're recording this right now for, you know, posterity, Joe Biden still got them frozen. Who knows what's going to happen? Lord. Um, and we paid them in like two or three years since the pandemic happened. I don't understand why we still need to pay them because clearly the, gov- the federal government don't need that money. Um, <laughs> we're paying in three years and, and they need to fall on not one loan, not nothing. Um, but at the same time, yeah, the baby boomers, I don't know about Gen X, maybe they was a part of it a little bit, but they benefited from so much of like the cheap living, cheap prices and all other stuff. And then they really rigged society to be on the other end and try to like, um, other way of deregulating and reducing the government's role, quote unquote, and, and like funding. And that's how you even have, I mean, it's even a problem on graduate level schools too, but they're really hollowing out the state and they're really saying that like, 
the state shouldn't have as much um, discretionary funds to provide towards uh, education as a value or whatever, tra public transportation, uh, public schooling, things like that, um, to really have like that type of factor of influence mm -hmm. and that, that financial uh, bedrock for these type of services to happen too. So it's a, it's a massive issue and I don't know, and we're still being governed by baby boomers on all levels, local, state, federal, like, you know, no matter what you call it, Gen X. Um, so I don't know what's going to change. Our current president is like 80 something years old. God, Lord knows. Um, Senate, not the Senate, we're talking about Supreme Court. They all old as you know who. Um, Retire them all, please. Uh, you can only hope and pray. You know, we can't control that. But yeah, man, I think I just wrapped it up right there. But I think those two things are just like the main, bigger points that I, I felt like from our conversation were just like, we our conditions are much more difficult and they still i think their language towards millennials and gen z's is like oh you're lazy oh you're irresponsible you're this and the third but really we should say to hell with all y'all what the hell are you talking about you was buying bread for 25 cents what the hell you mean <laughs> you know how much bread costs now i can't even go to the supermarket right now and every the, the cheapest thing in the supermarket no matter what it is is three dollars i saw a dryer sheets. i'm sorry i gotta ring real quick i saw a dryer sheets and then four or five dollars for dryer sheets Come on, bro. For Brody. a brand name with dryer sheet, that's insane to me. Like, what are we doing? What are we doing? We came a bread is four dollars now, five dollars. Bro, I said half a dozen eggs, like six eggs, bro. That shit at like three or four dollars now. They are they 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 price gouge and they rigged the system so hard against I'm about to get a chicken coop. We're just like I don't know why we're so passive towards it. I don't know, man. It's just it is like it's like unnecessarily difficult for us to financially navigate our like society right now. Mm-hmm. And we just, I don't know, we just, we just suffer from it, man. I don't think, I don't think anything's affordable, quote unquote, right now for anybody. No, we are living in broke times. But I think Mike, and we're not, we're going to end it here because this cocktail hour has been way too long. I think <laughs> we do need, we no, no, it's not travel. It's been a great conversation, mm -hmm. but I think we do need a further conversation about sort of our passive nature to, you know, what's happening financially. Right. I think for sure. Other generations would have been in uproar. And I think, again, we shrug it off and, hey, I'll swipe the credit card. And that's a whole nother conversation about mm -hmm. cash versus credit versus the, the psychology of swiping. Right. But again, mm -hmm. we're going to go into that at another point. But again, thank you all so much um, for that cocktail hour conversation that went way over um, what I planned. But I'd rather have it go rather have it go over. because I think there were some great points made. Um, and so I think moving into the topic, Mike was really talking about it at the end of what he was just saying when it comes to college, when it comes to student loan debt. And so I think, again, all of us having our experiences in higher education, still having, you know, experiences in higher education. I really think this conversation is important. And I think it's important, particularly for for young men that might be listening to the pod. Uh, so I was reading an article not too long ago that mentioned that in the spring of 2021, men represented slightly over 40% of undergrad students, which is an all-time low. Mm -hmm. And so I'm really just trying to get your thoughts on, do we see a shift happening where, you know, the traditional college degree is losing some of its esteem? Are people, you know, choosing other uh, career alternatives? But also are people just deciding, hey, I don't want to take out this loan to go into debt and so i rather pursue something different so what are, what are y'all thoughts on that i'll say that i wouldn't i wouldn't necessarily associate it with the um lack of value of a college degree i will say that men have always there's always been a a, a gap between um second post-secondary attainment for between men and women as far as since women 
had like very broad access to higher education. I think after the 1960s, I wouldn't I want to say 50s, 60s, I have my education history correctly. But what law was, you know, and women got access to, you know, higher ed, large yeah. numbers, along with black, you know, non-white minorities. Um, there's there's always been that gap and it's always been a huge issue. Um, the gap, I think from what you're seeing right now, like our enrollment numbers in college for colleges across the colleges, and university across the country has not recovered since the pandemic. And it makes these discrepancies look a lot worse um, right now. Um, men as a student population just do not have have had historically have had trouble accessing higher ed persisting you know staying like persisting as in like staying year after year after year or being retained year after year after year um and then their success at that level too as well has been always been different as well um and there's no clear solution right now and i can say from an education research perspective because that's what i do for a living um when you try to research them as a student population young college college age males don't always often reply or respond to research outreach or like surveys and you know interviews as much as women do so from even from a knowledge base we don't even know we don't often know in depthly um how college age men like what struggles they have you know because you know they're just like every other college student they could be parents they can have struggles they have handy you know learning handicaps whatever you want to call it that might affect your way to succeed at the college level um and these young men or have a lot of weight on their shoulders. Like, you know, we had the fortune of being in a learning community when we were in college that, you know, we had a lot of black men uh, around us in, the, in that community on a predominantly white institution campus. Um, and we saw, I think we saw firsthand, like when these students come into college, there's a lot that they bring with them that started from a long time ago. As far as what these young men experience, how they develop their academic identity, their relationship in those experience, I mean, the relationship in those academic environments, um, it all carries with them into their college space. And then that, who knows where it goes from there. Because college is a lot of making hard decisions. I think about your life, who you are as a person and what you want to do for yourself, how, you, how you're going to gain experiences and skills uh, and to be to apply yourself for four years. And not just I think a lot of people who haven't been to college or you know, who may not have successful experience in college, they think that you have to be 4.0 GPA. It's not even just about that. It's also you have to fulfill your time with a lot of experiences and internships. That's going to bring you a lot of extra skills that makes you way more competitive for employers or make you way more um, likely to have some type of role or even get to graduate or professional school when you're done too as well. But I'll wrap it up to say that I think men in general have always just lacked. And there's an issue that I think we're going to talk about later in this uh, episode too, but there's just a, a major issue for getting men into college and then having them succeed through it too, where like we as a society haven't figured that out yet. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's my like, you know, education research perspective on that. I mean, Mike touched on most of the points. I will add that um, I think men more than women have not been incentivized per se, but have been exposed to other avenues of income outside of a traditional college education. And so mm-hmm. your ITT techs, your Lincoln mm-hmm. Technical Institute, Phoenix mm-hmm. University, like those all I don't want to say they target men, but I think the the jobs they offer, like tech, automotive technician, yeah, electrician, that. like those all, a lot of those, in my appeal opinion, are target, appeal to men, right? Like, okay, I don't have to go to school, but I can know how to fix and work cars, which means, one, I'm going to get a good job. And two, I can fix my own car, which I can save money mm-hmm. on. Like, things of that nature have always been pushed towards men to say, hey, maybe school, traditional education is not for you, but... What, what do they call it? Skills that pay the bills or something yep. like that? Yes. Yeah. There you go. There you go. <laughs> Apprenticeships. And, you know, apprenticeships. You can do welding. Go, 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 go,
and we're, we're talking about just like that's just a um another discrepancy just how men and women are able to access their employment differently and like what jobs are they have access to and that, that's exactly. a, a good point because like we we uh not say we i'm not say our podcast or we on the podcast <laughs> people would like to laugh like you know a lot of women goes towards nursing and things like that but you know, historically, they needed to get that. They need to be credentialed to get that job security because a lot of women are are usually globally um, are in job positions where they don't they could if they have any economic shocks like a recession or mm -hmm. not something happens, they're like the first ones to lose their job. In a pandemic, too. We saw it. You know who the first ones to lose it was black and brown women of color on the front lines. Like, you know, they were the first to lose their jobs. Yeah, um, that's just like an example of it. But yeah. No, no, Mike, I, I agree uh, tenfold. And I think it's just a representation of the society we're in. So when yeah. you have, like, I know folks who are automotive technicians, they work at, I don't know, like a Honda or Toyota, things of that nature. And then when they're not at work, let's say you need to get your brakes done at 10 p.m. at night, you can drop your car off at a crib, they have it ready the next morning. Like, it's just that type of flexibility where like, okay, I got my standard job, I can make a little money at the side, and I just have enough of a skill set to like, be like useful and i think that's important to people so and i don't think it's surprising i i don't know if i would be alarmed or not because i don't think that number is meant to be 50 50 i think the more mm -hmm. important thing is is there enough jobs and well-paying jobs i should say for the population to be economically sound and healthy that is the question if that 40 percent exists and unemployment is less than one percent the minimum not the minimum wage is at whatever number that's affordable for standard living in 2023. I don't care about that number that much. I obviously want to get it higher. We want an educated population. I think that's what's missed out when you take these uh, skills that pay the bills job because they're focusing strictly on that skill set, which you do in one or two years where college tends to do your studies and then try to make you a, what they call well-rounded citizen, hypothetically. Um and so I think that's missed out on. And then it becomes a responsibility of the high school that you came from to do a good job of making you a well-rounded citizen. And we can't always bank on that. So it's, I don't know how to take that number per se. Um, I think you talked like you went from an educational standpoint and you'd want that number to be higher. But I think I'm more worried about the socioeconomic aspect of it, in my opinion. And we're going we're gonna to talk about the social economic aspect. Uh, that's one of the questions here today to but I think so moving on to, to this question, I think we acknowledge that there's these skills that pay the bills, um, you know, all of these alternatives that are now popping up. There's, you know, these schools, technical schools that are recruiting or appealing to to young men. Should college right after high school, as is the traditional path, still be the goal? I think obviously we have to answer it from a for most people perspective. But do we feel like if, if, even if we say yes for mo most people, that there's still a significant group of folks where that might not be the correct course of action? Yeah. Yeah. For, you say so. for yeah, for for different reasons. Now I'll, I'll say this: I'll, I'll never be in the in the in the crowd that says, <laughs> you know, you should never go to college or colleges or the college degree is not valuable. I don't think that's true. You can call me biased, whatever. I know I went to college more than one time, <laughs> but even after my bachelor's degree, I, I'll I'll never forget searching for a job and being like, oh. I actually have access to why way more different opportunities now because I have this bachelor's degree. Mm -hmm. um, I have access to way more different incomes now because I'm credentialed to the certain to the certain level that I was back then. Um, and I think that they're always going to be valuable. But on the other hand, I don't think college, higher ed, classroom learning is built for everybody. I don't think mm -hmm. that's. I even think down K through twelve. I don't think every 
student, every person in the world is built to be, you know, studying, sitting in the classroom. Like the whole model of how we educate and how we school is not, it's really not built for everybody. We don't talk about it enough, but it's not, we, we should be able to diversify how we, our pedagogy and like how students, and then be more yeah. responsive to student learning. But not everyone, not everyone succeeds on the college level and it's not to their fault too. Um, mm -hmm. We're talking about strictly, I'm talking about strictly academically. I know there's a lot of other reasons why college students don't succeed, but academically, like that's just not, it's not best for everybody to do the four-year college thing, to be in classroom. Like there's not, they're just not built for that. It's just not how they learn. It's not how they, you know, it's not how they best apply themselves. And, you know, and especially if you have negative experiences in the past and schools and like, you know, you're not going to feel comfortable in an isolated space. Like, you know, like we went to a land grade university cut out in the middle of a damn, you know, Connecticut forest, <laughs> like, you know, but like, you know, five miles off the highway to get there, that's very isolating to be in that space and to not even be comfortable being in school, even though it's supposed to, the thing you're supposed to do the most. So a lot of people fill their time doing social stuff, you know, what was, what we would call wasting their time, but they're trying to have fun, make the most of it, da, da, da. But yeah, it's just not built for everybody. So it's, I, I was just, I wish, I guess, yeah, I guess I, I say I would wish that when we have your, our students going through middle school and high school, we would introduce more diverse career options for students and student, mm -hmm. and like kind of give them more diverse experiences like more hands-on things maybe you know maybe they should get tap into arts or stem like have more diversified experience so they they'll know that like oh, i actually like doing music a lot more or maybe i do like being a technician working my hand my high school has some automotive class that i never took but they had it there's a garage on camp on our high school campus and people could take the class and they would like it and stuff like that was, I, we had a cooking whole cooking class thing in my high school too um that you could work in like a pseudo student restaurant ran student ran restaurant type of thing and i was in that class and you know mm. even though i cook now <laughs> but still like that but um but yeah i just wish that like those experiences were more introduced to students at a younger age and even what we used to do um steven with the excuse me, after school program yeah yeah that one the um even the middle school one i don't think you came to the middle school one um, i think i missed that one yeah. yeah yeah but even the one that was in uh windham too like you know it was just about it was just about getting to these kids and kind of changing what they believe to be true about how they exist in like society and their employment and their education too, um, as well. I just, yeah, it's a, a, my final point or to summarize, I just wish that we can introduce our students, our kids to way more different roles and experiences so that they didn't have such a limited view of what success meant. And uh, it's not only just going to college. Too. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think I'll just add there because Mike made some really great points that, I think there does need to be a reframing of how we look at the traditional college path. Not to, again, I don't think I'll ever be one to say, you know, college has lost its its way or college isn't important anymore. But I think maybe there does need to be a gap year where you go work to make to see that you like something before you go invest in it. Or again, maybe we do need to bring back to Mike's point, technical high schools that allow you to try out a trade so that when you're going to college, maybe you're going for business administration to realize how to take that trade to the next level right not mm -hmm. only are you going to be a mechanic but you own a, a owner shop because now you have those business fundamentals or whatever the case is so because I, I think a lot of times there's a pros and cons for using college as exploration right yes, i think for sure, for sure. and i think it harms folks that were college was already a financial burden or barrier even more so, right? Because for a lot of times you use that year or two of exploration and it adds a year or two on the back end potentially for you to get into your major, for you to get into what you need to do. Because again, a lot of colleges will say, come in and explore and try these different explore. classes, not understanding that you added another year to, to go into college by you just exploring. 
right? Which means you added another twenty-five to fifty thousand dollars potentially, you know, if there's no federal aid or no aid at all, to your student loan debt. And so I think there does need to be some exploration before you get to college, before you choose to apply, whether that's a technical high school, whether that's uh, after school program, whether that's, you know, something in the community, whether that's using your community colleges that for in many states are now, you know, offering free and reduced, you know, tuition to, to use, making sure you try something out, because I don't think particularly black and brown young men have the luxury of saying, I'm going to spend $25,000 to go try this out. We don't, we don't have that luxury. And so I think we do, we do need to reframe that. And I think we also need to reframe, and people are, might hate me for this, the social aspect of college, right? I think, you know, the social aspect of college is great, had fun, appreciate it. Shout out to to stores, you know, we, we had fun. But I think choosing colleges because of the social aspect, choosing to be a full-time student, choosing to live in the dorms, choosing to, you know, stay on campus or go out of state, largely for the social component can also be harmful, right? Again, if you have a, a full ride or whatever, if it's not going to be a burden, cool. But saying you want to go out of state, you know, potentially when there's a reasonable, you know, opportunity for you to stay in state that would have saved you money, that would have had your major, maybe you stay at home for the first year. Maybe you do community college for the first year. Because I think we see it in Miami Spring Break. We're going to see it in a 94 Freaknik documentary. You don't need to be in college to go to college parties. Where are the air horns? <laughs> the hood was always trying to pull up to the system. And so um, I think a lot of times people will make decisions like, yo, I like the atmosphere on campus. You know, I've seen the videos on YouTube. Like, again, I've, I was talking to somebody that's on the football team um, and they were like, they had a recruit come shadow and was like, yo, where the party's at? And they're like, you know, bro, that's like, you're going to be up at 6 a.m. going to workouts. Like, that's the last thing you need to be considering. But I think a lot of times for a 16, 17, 18-year-old when it comes to college. Oh, for sure. That has to be a part of the component. But I think sometimes that leads to not the best financial decisions in the long term. Yeah, you had fun. But if fun cost me 120000 I don't need that much fun. I don't need that much fun. And. Um... Maybe and maybe to also consider community college too, just as a exactly. way to ease, ease themselves in. See if they even like it, if they can do it. Or I know community college also offer like um certificates and other technical things you go social learn. degrees. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Just a two year in and out type of degree, which you definitely build from um in there. And let's remember to the audience too, what it matters also as long as credentials and degrees is experience. I think experience is something that's very undervalued. Um, being able to have a job for multiple years is also something that stands out. Is usually what employers ask for in resumes too. So. If you get that associates, you find a nice position, you can work your way up through it. You can use that new, that position you got after a few years to get a better one uh, down the line and increase your income that way too as well. But yeah, man, it just, I don't know. But like, I feel like the question of it too is like, who was this like proverbial people that organize our, like, you know, our education system and like who, what children are have access to or taught and do we need more external, like cross-sector people to come in? Like, you know, hypothetically, we created the ADC, you know, uh, after school program whatever mm -hmm. and we're like all right we gonna do we need like more like young men to come in or young men and women to come in and you know do that type of teaching um do we need more persons of different levels or uh, that are actually in the school institution i don't know because teachers and administrators are already burdened enough with education or at least public education or what they have to do right now but 
I don't know. I don't know the solution, but I think that, you know, there's just how do how do we find a way to influence these young children uh, before they have to make those hard decisions about where they want to go in life? Yep. Yeah. Oh, I'm um, sorry. I'm oh, sorry. Go ahead. One thing I talked about last week and like my class, stuff like that, because, you know, how like in different communities, let's say you live in a wealthy community and you can have like you have wealth capital, you know, you have all you have cultural capital, social capital, things that you can do that maybe poor neighborhoods couldn't do. But I don't think we ever talk about education capital and what it means to be mm. in a community where a lot of people may have some type of uh, post back. I mean, not post back um, post secondary success. Um, they can be, you know, have college degrees and capital because those are people you can run into at the barbershop, you know, run mm. into at the community center and they'll teach you things about, you know, how to apply to college yeah, that could give you advice that's outside yeah. of your immediate family structure and stuff like that and have like a different influence on these kids um like i just feel like that's something that we don't talk about enough um and or just even um it's not even a word or phrase but even employment capital too just people having like consistent long-term jobs in one role like that they're really especially technical like skilled at um yeah. being able to pass down more advice i just feel like that's something that we don't really fixate on enough and like something that's really critical to understand because if you didn't have those people around your community like you know we talk about a lot on this podcast community 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 and different spaces different people if you don't see you if you don't have access to those people like who who are you learning from you know if you're you know, if your parents don't have that high-end background for like you know Thanks. navigating american education spaces and you know getting jobs and stuff like that like you we need to ask like ourselves if, before we criticize your children like who are they actually learning from um, or as me and Stephen like to put it, like who are you? Who are the OGs? <laughs> yeah, yep, I was <laughs> yeah, about to say. But yeah, like the OGs can be in your family, outside your family. But really, like who who are you, are they able to talk to to really ask questions and like you know learn from um outside in their community too, which is something that's a critical capital. I don't think a lot of impoverished communities really have access to. But but Mike, do we do enough? And this is just me being devil's advocate and pushing back a little bit. Yeah. But do do we feel like we do enough from that employment capital? for blue collar work, right? I think, again, a, a lot of times when folks come back with their master's or their PhD, we tell we tell little Jimmy, like, yo, go go holla at him. He, he, just, he just graduated from school. But we don't do that necessarily with the dude that got the HVAC certification, right? Who, who might be making more than the dude that got the PhD, right? Do, do we give them enough value from that employment capital standpoint? No, we do not. Um, or the dudes who got the trucking companies. That yeah, like exactly. Yeah, twelve, fifteen k a month. Like you know, and they yeah. work their way up. And like I, I, yeah, no, we do not. But also think that might be. I would say it might be a classism thing, low key. Like just being like having like we value jobs that are more blue collar and you know working with your hands than we do like the white collar academic you know jobs that we have that we would have now. Um, type of roles, and we were, we're always, I guess, traditionally and culturally, we're always gonna look at degrees as, as a, a big signifier of success because that's the only avenue that we have for us that's like the main avenue not the only but it's one of the main avenues that we have or at least that we're socialized towards because like i be telling people you don't have a choice about going to school the law says you have to go to school mm -hmm. like you know and you need that first high school degree to even get your first job or get to college mm -hmm. or anything like you're really we're really funneled through this one system and then we're supposed to like prioritize that and so culturally it's like oh, you got the master's degree i mean we all look at us all all three of us we got bachelor's master's degree we've seen people come out the woodwork woodwork yes. like you know people you hear from a year oh congratulations da, 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 from all across the country all across the world like you know you got global family like you know just they, they call in they tell you they love, they, they love you they're proud of you and stuff like that you know but if you tell them like yeah yeah i, I just got this factory job come on that's regular <laughs> for them they don't see it it's like you know your parents might be like you know hey congrats you know yeah i, I know little jimmy he out there working in the factory. <laughs> you know, hopefully he can do a little bit more later like you know they just we don't value i think it's a cultural value thing but i agree with you bro like we don't 
we don't we don't uplift those people who do maybe have worked as like you like you said um as a mechanic for 10 years yep. or got their own shop and stuff like that yeah we just, we just don't like i don't know why though i think there's a but there's a value that's associated with it being something that people know like mm-hmm. if it's like oh i just got a factory job at ibm that's where those big congratulations will come from or when you just got a big mm-hmm. job at like ford like the the that's name so and the yeah when it when it just happens to be uh jimmy's auto zone down the street and not just discredit <laughs> nobody people mm-hmm. are just like oh congratulations but like i think especially in like the 60s and the age when people were getting these what we would consider blue collar jobs they mm-hmm. were going to work for these big million to be billion dollar corporations that were Ford and Apple and IBM and General Motors and you know name whoever and people can attach it to that but because there's still these giant conglomerates but there's just a lot more small businesses that can compete in some cases financially what they can offer you it's kind of like oh you got a job working on cars at this uh local spot which is paying real good but like they, there's no attachment, there's no feeling to mm-hmm. it where college was always associated with education and strength. And you're going to be, quote unquote, quote, Rick Ross, rich forever. Like you're going to you're going to you're going to have it. And so that's always going to be there. Like people will send their children from around the world to come to America just for school. So when you graduate, you know, there's a, a technically a financial security there. And that's why when you have Africans, especially Africans, Caribbeans, West Africa, whatever, uh, doctor, engineer, lawyer, LED, or lawyer, engineer, doctor, I should say, they, because they could, they know what the education is. They know what jobs get them that money. Now y'all got to go do it so we can congratulate y'all on the merit that we see fit because we now, we know you're going to be successful because you got your degree and you got your degree in something that pays well. So that, I think that also plays a part in it, but that's my two cents. Mm-hmm. Sure. Interesting. Okay. So I'm going to wrap it up with this last question. I think we've hinted on it uh, throughout the time, but I want to get a direct uh, question here. So I think, again, assuming that we're starting to make these changes, we're having these after school programs that are, you know, focusing more on maybe college alternatives, mechanic, technician, so on and so forth. And so we're going slightly away from traditional college. Do we see or what do we see? I know we see them. What do we see as some of those larger social impacts? that happen because, you know, men in particular might choose to bypass college, right? Are we seeing increased classism? Are we seeing trouble with relationships for women that say they can only date on their level? Are we seeing issues with civic engagement and, you know, being able to understand policy? Right, like, what are, what are, what are we seeing as some of those, those, the impact, the social impacts from men choosing alternative career and, and job paths? I'm going to let Mike go first. I'm going to start off with a crazy, it's not a joke. It's just like people aren't serious. I know Mike's seen it. Corey probably seen it too. There's this dude, and I don't use TikTok, but it got sent to me, that has like a mirror, and he puts a paper in front of an object, and he says, how can a mirror know what's behind the paper? (laughs) And when I saw that, I think somebody quoted it. I th- I think I quoted it with the uh, George Bush. Uh, ch- I said no, the no child left behind, but the nose crossed out, and it's just home when I said child left behind. <laughs> That's what I think about when, and not to say college teaches you that, but I think there's some common sensationality that just gets left in high school and especially in college when they're not attending for people. So Mike can go ahead before I could dive in, but I just thought I was hilarious when you asked that question. No, I mean. Choosing to bypass college. I mean, 
here's one thing I think if you if we you know talk to people who didn't have a chance or yeah if we're talking about men young men who didn't have a chance to go to college or they're thrown off the route especially if they're still like in their 20s or they're teen, or like you know still 18 19 I think sometimes one thing I notice is that they still they carry a lot of guilt and shame about it mm-hmm. too, and they have some type of regret about it which is sad to see because they're like oh I wish if things were differently I would have went or you know I would have done better you know and they feel like I think they kind of not psych themselves out, but definitely it might have lessened their value as far as like self-esteem and like that. And if, you, if it lessens your self-esteem, then that affects all other parts of your effective side of your life. Like, you know, your belief in yourself, belief in your ability to get things done, like, you know, the belief in your plans, your decision making, stuff like that, too. I think that's like a negative consequence of us over focusing on college and then people not being able to go to college. They feel like they're not successful at all. They feel like they can't compare themselves to people who do get the four year and the you know, they see how celebrated they are. I about to say the celebration. That's what really be doing it. Whole parties and you know, grab flex. Yeah, you know, it's a whole thing. It didn't. It is. And like, if you didn't get, if you didn't even get a chance to touch one part of that experience, like you know, you're always gonna feel like you're, like you know, you may you. I'm saying, I'm not gonna like. I say you always like. I'm generalizing. You may feel like, like you know, you just you didn't like you missed out on something that's critical for your success. Um, and so if they're going to go and get a regular job, they might not just be as like, you know, happy about it, as motivated about it. And this is all hypothetical, like, you know, not, not just, please guys, if you, you, if you have your own life experience, don't, don't come at us, but we're just, we're just talking with like kind of generally and, and not, not to generalize, but we're talking generally. Um, but like, you know, I think that's just something I've seen for people I interacted with and I just, I don't want people, I don't want young men or women to feel that way when they don't hit college. But I think it, it kind of puts them in this role. I mean, now, a lot of people are saying these days, you can not go to college, you can go to Forex or something, and you can still be rich. Or you can, like, you know, there's the most. You said go animals. to where? That's what, that's no, what I, I, was, I wasn't going to go come for him. I wasn't no, going to come for him. he tried to flip that. I had to, I had to ask myself three times in my head, like, he said Forex? Yeah, that's side of joking somewhere. <laughs> Well, yeah, no, you could go invest or something. Like, just like they're, they're saying that there's different ways you can be, and like, they're talking about wealthy, like, you know, you know over six figures and maybe a millionaire and stuff like that. Uh, and there's different avenues for it, but. There still takes a lot of commitment, dedication, sacrifice to even go. If you're going to go to those alternative routes to become wealthy, and like, you know, it's just not an easy thing to do. Especially if you all oh, stopped. Oh, you know, I was just saying yeah, that. Um, yeah. I, was, I was just wrapping up. I was just saying that. Um, That's just what I saw personally from my um life, interacting with people who didn't go to college. Just like that negative self-value uh, mm-hmm. that they take on and adopt as part of their identity. I just, I just hate seeing that. Because then we're like, it just wraps up everything we're talking about because... I don't know if it's classroom. It's, it's just we're gonna people value those people less in certain society. We don't see them as like to Corey's point, like the blue collar people. We don't see them as mm-hmm. the same levels of success as we're gonna see like someone who got a four year degree. Yeah, I mean, I think it's just a level of elitism, elitism that comes to a part. Um, I think people intuitively believe they're better, and that just is what it is. And I think. When you the more educated you are, and the more spaces or higher educated spaces you occupy, you get those vibes. Or people, not even just vibes, people just tell you like they're not me. Point blank, period. And it's like that's that's how they that's just how they feel. And vice versa, you people who don't have it. And to your point, Mike, some people are just looking at it like I'm just not them. Like I can't be them, or I can't be well off, or I can't be successful, or I can't even just be stable, right? Let's just think about talk about stability in that aspect. Mm-hmm. I find it. I think it's difficult. I think it's hard. And I think this is where your personality as a person, as a personality, this is where your your personality and your character as an individual comes into a play, right? Yeah. So if you are 
a good person or you're just a sound brother or sister or whoever, like when you attain that level of success, people will know you for who you are and it doesn't carry that same weight. Like I've, I think there's, there's, I don't think I know. There's a notion that once you get more successful, you need to, you know, leave your hood behind, leave your past and stand the third. And it's not so much as, you know what I'm saying? I'm sorry, that's, that's elitism and classism though. That's what exactly. Teaching, you know what I'm saying? To disregard where we came from. Yeah. Disregard it. Exactly. And it, and it can't, and what it should be more is you opening up your experience and not, not necessarily just forgetting where you came from, but not forgetting those people as well. It doesn't mean you got to hang out with them all the time like you used to, but it's just like, there's always that you got to shut the door and move where people like you are. And I think for me personally, like I tell people always probably like, I have great relationships with people that I grew up with. Like I'm talking about people since like fifth or fourth grade that maybe we talk to each other on holidays birthdays and then we run each other run into each other at like the grocery store like once every few years and i think it's because like doesn't matter like where i am now they i know where i started i know where they started and we, we didn't take the same career path we didn't go to college or maybe we like some of them did or whatever but is that like yo you a good person like you good dude you a good dude like we cool and it's just like that and i think people miss that because their ego gets inflated somewhere you know they graduate they put their graphics up they get a bunch of likes. They and they they think like, yeah, I'm better than that person. I don't really need to associate with now on my level. And it doesn't need to be that type of nation. And I think that's what can create the animosity around around students who go to college, and especially kids who go to PWIs. If we're talking about uh, black students, I think there's always that this level of elitism attached to PWI graduates, the HBCUs, and then masters, PhD, whatever. And so it's just you need to have that level of character to engage with people in a way that doesn't say, hey. You ain't go to college, so you you're not like me in a sense. If we didn't take the same path, it doesn't mean you you can't be somebody in the society. So, yeah, um, no, I think you both made really really good points. I think there's so many ways, and I think we saw it in the '60s, right? We saw it in the '50s. We saw it any. I think prior to, I would say maybe the past twenty or thirty years, I would say you saw where none of the things that I mentioned, civic engagement, critical thinking, relationships, most, a, a lot of people weren't going to college, period. Men, women, especially from marginalized communities. And you've probably saw significantly higher levels of civic engagement, being at town councils and town meetings yeah. to, to know what's going on, joining the local civic organizations, NAACP and things like that. You saw, you know, relationships between people that you know really focus on building family wanting to see their community thrive wanting to you know pass on something for the next generation it didn't matter how many books you read or you know where you had traveled to or things of that nature um and people found a way to facilitate you know these opportunities to travel and to explore in different ways some people joined the military if they felt mm -hmm. like they really wanted to to go and see a different place but they always found a way maybe it was just a a local trip out of town right they found ways to give kids and things like that a, a different way and a different perspective without it being a traditional four-year college experience mm -hmm. And people still had very good critical thinking skills right they they thought and i don't know i don't know what it was i don't know if we put a greater priority on K-12 education because again, so many people weren't going to college that we really had to have sound, you know, K-12 education. I don't know if it's, we value 
you know, a hardworking person, regardless of what their field was, whether it was blue collar, white collar, whatever. We just value being able to pay the bills and support your family. I don't know if it was that reason. I don't know if it's because just everybody else in the community was engaged and, you know, had the block watches and the park cleanups or whatever the case is. So you had to be engaged because your neighbor was engaged. I don't know what it was, but I think there's, there's a difference now. There's, I think there's a classism and elitism difference that is, I don't know, I don't want to say it's beyond repair, right? I don't, I don't want to yeah. say that because I think that is a very pessimistic outlook. But when I see a solid dude that didn't go to college might, you know, drive a truck, you know, and be a good dude, engage in the community. He might coach at the local football team or whatever, because he played high school football and he, you know, tries to get back to his community, goes to the local church, drives a truck and he can't find a partner because, you know, women don't want to date the blue collar dude in the town. Mm -hmm. That hurts me. Because I, I come from blue collar, right? I mean, I think yeah. in, in most cases, yeah. most of us come, most are, still, are still oh, first generation, still yeah. first generation, you know, college students. We all come from blue collar. The same, you know, men that get PhDs, a lot of them came from blue collar. The women that get doctor degrees and are now CEOs, a lot of them came from blue collar. And I think to what Stephen or Mike was saying, we forget that really quickly as soon as we cross the stage. Mm-hmm. We forget that we came from blue collar you know, make just trying to make it. And so again, when I see a significant group of people that say, Hey, I don't want to a significant group of young men say, Hey, I don't want to take on college debt. And so I'm good with my hands. I don't think I want to be in front of a computer my whole life anyway. And I know there's a lot of people like that. I've had conversations with, you know, young people that are in high school now and say, Hey, I don't want to, I just don't want to be in front of a computer. And so I don't know, maybe they want to become a firefighter. Maybe they want to become an HVAC technician. Maybe they want to become a barber. Whatever the case is, this is this is their path. These are paths to wealth creation, a solid income, decent income to take care of your family, probably making more than some people that go to college and get random majors, mm-hmm. right? You know, and so they're able to pay the bills and they can't find a partner or people look at them crazy. Like that is super harmful. And I think it, it's harmful to just, you know, being able to build a community if people aren't having families. It's harmful to wealth creation that we talked about from the beginning as people have continuously proven the fastest way to build wealth is through partnership. And, mm-hmm. and we don't have it because he makes 120, but because it's not in an office and he don't got a bunch of suits in the closet, you're not rocking with it. Mm. I, thought, I thought you wanted six figures. Now there's a stipulation on how the six figures comes. Right. So, again, I think these things, (laughs) they continue to to get worse. And I and I think that's my only downside here. But again, I don't want somebody going to college because that's the only way they think they're going to find some find a partner or be accepted. Mm -hmm. I don't want that to be the reason. I think there needs to be a deeper conversation about if we're going to actively not go to college, we still need to make sure these group of people whether it's men or women i think primarily it's men that are choosing other alternatives because we have typically more alternatives that appeal to us we need to make sure that they're still in the fold we need to bring them in we need to keep them engaged we need to make sure that the man that works at a trunking trucking company could marry the woman that got a master's of social work and that not be an issue and we don't have any questions about it yeah because go ahead no i was joking i was joking i was like he definitely could 
I, he he could, but can't. But can he? Right. I mean, we from our perspective, he certainly could. He like he might be an avid reader. He might just not have wanted to go to college. Mm-hmm. And so I think we can't. We have to stop looking at that as if the woman married down in that situation or the man came up. Mm-hmm. And I think we we if we're going to grow as a community, I think if we're going to build wealth, if we're going to start establishing, you know, a lot of black owned businesses and continuing to support them, the black community has to be one community, not the community that's in Greek letter organizations, not the community that went to college, not the ones that the two communities, one that went to HBCUs and one that went to PWIs. We can't be that. Button by the break, yo. This is cool. <laughs> this is Corfe's, Cor- Corey's uh, preaching to the choir, and it's not even Sunday yet. We can't, we can't be that. And I think those social potential social impacts do scare me, and I think it's it's harmful because if there's a, somebody that comes to me and say, "Hey, this is what I want to do. It's more hands on." You might not need a four year. You might just need community college or a technical school. And I want to be able to say that and know that that person could be the president of the local NAACP and people not not vote for them because they didn't go to, you know, the top HBCU and join a Greek letter organization. Mm -hmm. Or they could be, you know, the bishop or the deacon at the church. And that's fine because they just want to give back to the community. And I don't know if I could do that and say that and trust that that be true. But again, we'll see. Um, appreciate y'all for having this conversation. I didn't know if y'all had any other thoughts before before we moved on. Nah, you don't go after the pastor when he finishes. The oh sermon, gosh, I must say, look at us advocating for the proletariat today. Great <laughs> man, the working class. Hey, but nobody nobody's having these conversations about them. You know, yeah, like we're very a part of the few that want to you know have the courage to even think about these people and not see them as just failures of society, which most people do. And uh, yeah. at least I'm talking about America. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, they're too busy having conversations about splitting rent. So tough. And because Steven made that comment, I'm going to skip table talk today. Um, <laughs> yo. Because yo. Steven's answer might be wild. Just based off this what? interview with that statement, I'm My answer never be wild. I'll be with jokes like 80% of the time. We're going we're gonna to go right into plug a plug. We're going to go right into plug a plug. Um, I want to shout out, and I think we just had a long episode anyway, so I'll save I'll save this table talk. But, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, I just want to shout out a local Baltimore, a black owned uh, tea shop, which I think is a very interesting. And I don't think we see a, a lot of tea shops around. So um, it's still on my bucket list before I leave Baltimore to go check out. But I've been seeing it around and I've heard uh, really positive reviews. So if you're in the Baltimore DMV area, make sure you check out uh, Couples Tea House, spelled C-U-P-L-E-S, Couples Tea House. Again, lo- located in Baltimore. So if you need to get away, do a little bit of work, just want to drink some tea, it'd probably be a really good, you know, first date spot, some calm, chill, you know, atmosphere and environment. So again, make sure you go check out Couples Tea House if you're in a Baltimore DMV area. You can follow them on Instagram at Couples Tea. Again, C-U-P-L-E-S-T-E-A, Couples Tea. Make sure I go check them out. For sure. All right. Past the ox. Um, I'm gonna go first because it looks like y'all vibes are much more rapidy rap than mine. I got some Afrobeat vibes in here. 
uh, my song, new single, it's called Bala Blue. Bala Blue, excuse me. Malo featuring, I said featuring. Song is called Bala Blue. Song is by Malogo and Hit Sound. And here it is. When you hear me say logo, you know it's a baby slowly. Why did you I be feeling you are. I want your touch, baby slowly. Why did you I be feeling you are. I want your touch. Look do me like bala blue. I want you, give you everything. I choose you. Nobody fi do you like me. Shake me, that you see me and you don't like me. I love your brunch, you no know, pussy. Take your pick, wash your pick. Yeah, I'll take my time, I go there for you. No regrets, I'm living for two. Taking flash up the spirit of me. Anything, everything, baby, slowly. I be feeling you are, I want your touch Baby, slowly, I be feeling you are, I want your touch No go do me like Bala Blue I want you, give me everything I choose you Many kele they outside, but oh, now you I want nothing they outside. You the reason I day I like. If you open see, I go day online. I'll take my time, I go day for you. No regrets, I'm living for two. Taking flash up the spray on me. Anything, everything. Baby slowly, why get your castle? I be feeling you are I want your touch. Baby slowly. Sound. Make sure y'all check it out. Song dropped about a week ago. Week ago. Week ago. That was dope. That was dope. I'm gonna have to add that. Um, I will go next. Uh, this song came across uh, one of my playlists a few days ago. Um, the song is called Tony Fontana Three. Um, the song is by Hit Boy featuring Currency. Tony. Wow. Montana. Wow. Pockets bulging, arms wide open, niggas can't hold them, keep it in motion, love them my closest ones who love me at my lowest, gangsta shit, in my tank deck, running it back, really this shit is a marathon, but we ain't running no track, yeah, 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 I've been avoiding the noise, hopping the toys, moving poise, nothing is forced, mixing the formula, wedding in Florida, we in domestic, and we be foreigned up, and we be foreigned up, like we some foreigners, like we some foreigners, overseas, dress and fatigue, catch little niggas won't war with us, on I-10, we doing 120, we keeping it pushing. Got love for the click, when ain't nobody looking. I kept this shit silent and look where it took me. Look where it took me. Heated the stove, now I'm finna cook. Funny thing is, they already shook. Where they came, bitch, I'm doing a look. Shake down, hey. 808 rolling, pockets bulging, arms wide open. Niggas can't hold them, keep it in motion. Love them my clothes.
closest ones who love me and my lowest gangsta shit in my tank deck running it back really this shit is a marathon but we ain't running no track we in the hills we in the hills i ain't got no chill we did it for real look how i pose and all the stills all black hoodie like i'm doing drills doing drills on rocking this nipsey blue niggas be slimy and shifty too can't let them around me i'm simply through for real damn too many years of this shit too many characters pulling the skit Updated my style, then I updated the whip. The whip. God, my witness, I am to the inland with Drake is the T.O. Brody, check in with his B.M. and P.O. Dice game, bet whatever on C.L.O. Hey, 808 rolling, pockets bulging, arms wide open. Niggas can't hold them, keep it in motion. Love them, my closest ones who love me. I'm my lowest gangsta shit in my tank deck. Running it back, really this shit is a marathon, but we ain't running no track. Trying to find so shout out to hit boy and currency on a song is called tony fontana three has already been added to my summer ride around town playlist because i had it um playing in a whip the other day and it was it was a dope vibe i love the beat so shout out to them currency yeah Shout out to Currency in his long career. Um, I have a song off of Tyler, the Creator's Deluxe Call Me If You Get Laws. It was just my favorite song on there. Um, The song is titled Heaven to Me and again, it's by Tyler, the Creator. I don't like the spicy eats. I need bridges in my beats. Sink a pan of other seats. The heaven part for me is no one I can wake up when I'm finished with my sleep. Ain't no kids to feed, no stress. I bleed. I don't got a boss. I go wherever and don't care about the cost. Gas money was stock for me. Now I got so many cars I can start up. We napping in parks. We in the sun getting darked up. Chilling with my suit on. Travel truck is either more not leather or it's Vuitton. Sipping mint tea like we know the tree the leaf fell from. We come from them tiki. Punch drinks, hat, animosity for dinner, a pollo loco. That was in the past, now I'm parmesan my bolo. Half a million drifting in the tire, reading toy. Yo, prefer the alligator logo on my cotton polo. Living it up, my niggas is up. Y'all niggas is salty, peanuts. We ain't giving a fuck, cause I'm blessed as hell. And I ain't next to jail, ain't got no psyche hiccups. Plus, I dress this well. My heaven 24 7. That's heaven. Radiant sun, my baby mama and my daughter getting chased by my son. The water gun is in his arms, that little nigga could run. He get it from his daddy's side, you know them Nigerians. My mama pulled up in a helicopter. Sister in the kitchen kicking Jackson, mixing vodka. After dinner, I'll convince him they should babysit him. Me and wifey getting ready to go see an opera. This the house we come to when we got nothing to do. The big yard quaint signs with the immaculate view. My boat dock got a yacht with a slide on the side. My son and I got some bikes we can ride. I'll show him how to Willie and Wally in my celly. We 
could another dilly. There's no contingency, the numbers in a hundred millies. I'm in my 40s looking 20 son, and I don't ask for nothing. Everything is mwah, that's heaven for a God. My health is on a hundred, feel me? Yeah. Heaven to me by Tyler Creator. Mm. I listened to that deluxe and I don't think I don't remember that song for some reason. So I added it. <laughs> well, thank y'all again so much. Um, great, great conversation as usual. Um, that has been episode 120. Again, make sure you go like, rate, review, subscribe, tell a friend to tell a friend to tell an uncle to tell a cousin. Um, to check out after dinner conversations, follow us on Instagram at AD Convos. And until next week, y'all be safe. Peace. Be, be easy. We on an after dinner conversations, conversating, talking about a black vision. We on a mission to spread the word of our people. See us as equals when time to step aside. We on a sequel. You can catch us at 5 p.m. Every Sunday, tell us the ways about the culture. Do our own sculpture, record. Every Friday, so here with our way. No need to catch a flight away. Stay tuned for our take. We on it after dinner conversations. We on it after dinner conversations.